I am Simone Cipriani and I am an officer of the United Nations. And I'm Claire Press and I'm a sustainable fashion journalist. You are listening to the Ethical Fashion Podcast. We can change the world. Welcome back. We hope you're enjoying the series. This is episode four. And Simone and I are talking to Nigerian actor Dekore Egbison Akande. She is Nollywood royalty. She's been in something like 50 films and a bunch of them are on Netflix, including the romantic comedy Isoken, for which she won an African Academy Movie Award for Best Actress in 2018. Decore started out as a TV presenter. She also sings, dances and today does important humanitarian work. The EFI is very lucky that Decore agreed to be one of their mentors for the new Accelerator program for African designers this year. It's all about preparing young fashion talent to become investment ready, expanding their supply chains and scaling up their production and basically supporting them to build their fashion businesses. You can find out about the six designers selected this year on the EFI website, ethicalfashioninitiative.org. And in a future episode, you'll get to meet them. This conversation with the wonderful, warm and fabulous Decore is super fun, but it's also serious. It's about the power of creativity and the opportunities for economic advancement as well as cultural celebration and exchange provided by the arts. So film, music, the visual arts and of course, fashion. Decore Busanakande, welcome to the Ethical Fashion Podcast. Thank you for joining us from Lagos. Thank you, Decore. Hey, Simone! <laughs> Hi there! So nice How to have you? you on. You are part of this wonderful accelerator we have created. We had 250 applicants from all over Africa, young emerging designers, and together we selected a group of innovators. Uh, what do you think of them? I think they're all amazing. I think all 250 of them are amazing. But it, and it was really difficult, you know, to try to whittle it down. I'm African, so I understand the ramifications for our designers to get their work seen and out there and to get all this support that they need. So I'm just honored that you all just uh, included me in this amazing program. Simone, can you just tell us about the idea? So 250, six African designers were selected. What was the purpose? To accelerate a first group of emerging African design businesses in order to enable them to stand and to shine on the international market and to strengthen also their presence in the African market, which is an emerging one, a great one, we'll speak about that with Dakore. We have Equerike, whose label is called Woman from Nigeria. We have Bernie Seb, the founder of De La Sibur from Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso. We have a lot of work with EFI in Burkina Faso with fabric and textile. Jamini, Sifonbutu and Ben Nozo of Rain. And then we have Lucanium Dingi from South Africa and Margot Ruzi whose brand is called Margot Wong. So we have South Africa, we have Burundi, we have Nigeria, we have Burkina Faso. It's quite a portfolio of great designers. And really the aim is that of starting a new area of work at the Ethical Fashion Initiative and to get more and more African designers to shine on the international market. And Dakore... 
What are you looking in when you look for new designers? What is that inspires you? What I look out for are originality. I think originality is the number one key. Um, when you have original ideas and you follow through with them and you share it with the world, it's something really beautiful. And we get to see something from something that we normally see every day, but through a different lens. And I think that's something that's really special. And I look out for that even in my own personal life. I'm an actor. So we use fashion to convey a message. And I've been privileged to work with so many amazing Nigerian designers, African, even generally African designers in my work. And I see that correlation between how we look and how we feel and how it helps us to transform into a character. So it's the same thing, even with the accelerator program. I mean, I understand as an African that our designers are kind of um, sidelined in the global scheme of things. And I feel the same way, even as an actor, because I, I act predominantly in an African setting and um, Hollywood hasn't really opened the door to us. But what I'm grateful for is the fact that we didn't wait for that. We had to create our own and we are self-sustaining ourselves, you know. So within this framework, I think it's really important that African designers have to find a way to shine with all the constraints. And it's something that I also feel. So I can understand and I understand how important it is for something like the EFI, for instance, to identify that we need that support and are willing to back it. So it's not only about talking about it, but being about it. So I think going back to your question, Simone, it's really about originality of thought, originality of how you even execute that thought. And to see it come to life in a design is something really magical. How much time have you spent so far getting to know who the designers are and what they're doing? Have you had a chance to look into their work yet? And if you have, maybe you could share a little bit about them. I didn't want to be the person saying, oh, do you love women the best because it comes from Nigeria? <laughs> but like, share with us some of your thoughts, if you can, on some of the talent. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you've said it all already. I mean, woman, he is phenomenal. And all the designers are amazing. Let me just first start with that. But Woman, he's an author and he's also, you know, a poet and a writer and how he was able to connect his art, you know, connect his clothing, even the illustrations and the meaning behind them and his reverence for the female form. I think that has really made him stand out. But even with that, I mean, Margot, all these designers from all over Africa have all got something really, really special. I was interested to know that he'd actually studied medicine at university, which is why his kind of graphic drawings were inspired by female anatomy. But I really loved a quote that came from the Kenyan designer and she works with beaded accessories. Yes. This one's called Giamini. And she has this beautiful quote and she said, the strength of a woman is not measured by the impact of all her hardships in life, but the extent of her refusal to allow the hardships to dictate her and who she becomes. Yes. Beautiful. See right? Joy Bell. That's one of my favorite quotes. And you know, we're in an era where the divine feminine is not really given that pride of place. So it's really great to see that there's a lot of awareness in terms of how women are portrayed, how women are treated. 
we are very attached to all designers and I have a particular thing for Bernie Seb, the founder of the La Sibur in Ouagadougou, because we have a lot of work in Ouagadougou, a lot of work with local textile. We do a lot of weaving. We have almost 2,000 people at work permanently in Ouagadougou. It's also a place where we produce, by the way, a mountain of masks to protect people against COVID. We have produced up, up to now 300,000 masks, something like that. Wow. And I'm very fond Amazing. also... Amazing, yes. And I'm very fond also of Sifon Butho and Ben Knows of Rain. They studied in Durban. Their work is beautiful. And also another South African menswear brand, the Lucanium Dinghy. We have a history of work with South African brands. One of the first brands we mentored in 2013, uh, Max Sosa by La Duma, is now an Max international Sosa, star. Yes. It's now an international star in knitting. And you mentioned Margot, Margot Wong. It's beautiful work from Burundi. It's a country, Burundi, where we have not worked a lot. But you are right, Dakore. Fashion is a vehicle to speak about women, to speak about human rights, to speak about diversity, and to speak also about the cultural richness of Africa, which is not a single country. I'm always ashamed with my fellow <laughs> people from Europe say Africa as if, if it were a country. As in it's one, a yeah. continent. But tell me a thing, Dakota. Yes. You are from Lagos. You were born in Lagos. Where does this passion for fashion come from? Uh, what, what were you like a child? Do you have an early fashion memory? I live in Lagos. I was born here, but I'm from Bielsa, which is the south-south part of Nigeria, which is the Niger Delta. I don't know if you've heard of the Niger Delta, where the oil rich, exactly. Yes. So we have a very, very rich culture, um, but I was one part removed from it because I grew up in Lagos, which is like the city, city. I would say my love for fashion comes from my parents. My dad and my mom are like the most fashionable people I ever, I've ever known. Awesome. My dad is such a snazzy dresser from his shirts, his silk shirts to his Pierre Cardin. I remember Pierre Cardin silk shirts and his shoes my mom, her hair, her nails, everything, they were always impeccably dressed. So I believe that was my first appreciation for fashion. And then I was that child. I was very clear on how I wanted to look. My mom says, I would pick up my barrette. Yeah. I was that child. I would pick up my barrettes to match my dress, my shoes. I would have everything laid out the night before. So it's innate. Um, my love for fashion. Are your daughters like that now? They are like that. They're very, and you know, I have got two daughters and they're two distinct personalities. They're quite similar, but also very different in terms of how they express themselves in fashion. My first daughter, she's eight. She loves to wear crop tops and shorts. That's her uniform. <laughs> she will not wear a dress anymore. It's a problem because we've bought so many dresses and they're just in the closet. She won't wear them. But my second daughter, she's more girly. She will wear her dresses. She will match her things. And I allow them to express themselves. I allow them to choose what they want to wear. Yeah. Of course, mommy will say, oh, what do you think about that one? And I'm like, um, okay. Or no, mommy. And I'm fine with that because I understand it's about expression, you know? So that's, yeah. So I would say my family and then Nigerians as a people, oh my God, we are like fashionistas and fashionistas. Everybody comes out 
looking amazing. It's such a part of our culture, even our textiles, even our the textures we we are drawn to, damask, you know, very rich, you know, colorful with the Ankara, you know, like we love to express ourselves through fashion. So it's we're just inundated with it all over us, all around us. And it's also permeated even into our films, into our music, into our, our photography. You know, everything tends to show that expression of and the love of fashion. You know, so it's it's crazy. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about Ankara, that wax yes. print and yes. the Nigerian heritage. I know you wear it really beautifully and you love it. Can you talk to us about it? Why I'm drawn to it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's probably the colors, you know, the, the rich culture coming through the colors, through the textiles. I mean, there's a bit of controversy over Ankara. I'm not sure if you are aware, you know, because it's um, they say Dutch wax and... Um, yeah, I mean, it's political. Yeah, very political. But, you know, outside of that, and I'm aware of that, but I just want to appreciate it based on the fact that we adopted it as ours. You transformed it. Exactly. You know, we have to own it. So I just love the colors and I, and it's just such a, like a cultural identifier when you wear it, you know, and even when you see foreign designers using Ankara, I just have this visceral reaction like, oh my God, that's us, you know, like. Oh, you like it. Well, that, isn't that interesting? Because when you were saying there's controversy, obviously, about its history, mm-hmm. but there's also this other controversy that's overlaid it these days where if Western designers use it without working with those who are creating it, it becomes cultural appropriation. And that's obviously problematic. I mean, there's a lot of layers to the identity and meaning and heritage of so many of these beautiful fabrics, right? It's important to be aware. And I think foreign designers have to try to see how they can include Africans and African artisans in their designs. Absolutely. So the backstory and also maybe showcase the people who have helped them be able to bring it to the world. And that's one thing I love about the EFI project, all about sustainability and fair practices, fair trade practices. I think it's so key, especially now with the way the world is going, we cannot exist in a vacuum. We have to be aware of the things that have gone wrong or going wrong and start to write them in this lifetime so that the next generation will have something to inherit that has gone through that transformation so that they can really enjoy it and fly with it. You know, we can't dump it on the next generation to sort it out. We made the Mm. mess, so we have to sort it out ourselves. That's absolutely Mm. true. It's our duty. It's the duty of our generations. Absolutely agree with you. I'm interested also, you you mentioned the incredible art scene that (laughs) you have in Nigeria today. It's unbelievable. It's It's unbelievable. I read an interview of yours where you mentioned that it's literally exploding across all different disciplines. You have novelists. Chimamanda is one of the greatest novelists of our time. You have Love visual her. artists, you have filmmakers, music, everything. Tell me more about that. This is an explosion of art. It's an explosion. It's a creative renaissance that we are experiencing right now. To be honest with you, I'll tell you, Simone, Claire, coming up, it wasn't cool to be an artist. If you said 25 years ago that you wanted to be an artist, people would say, oh, that's so sad. Who are you? Because you? you're going to be broke. 
Oh yeah, get a proper job, right? (laughs) Go get a proper job. But for me, I've always danced to the beat of my own drum. You know, I, I might seem very like, oh, smiling, but I have a very steely determination when I put my mind to something. To be honest with you, I didn't realize that I could act. I was always going to be a musician and a journalist. Those were the two things I wanted to be. I followed my heart. I followed my spirit, um, even to the detriment at the time of my relationship with my dad, because he was, of course, taking care of all of us and everything. And when I got to university and I said, oh, I want to study mass communications. He was like, what? <laughs> so I had to fight my own personal battles. And a lot of artists went through that because it just wasn't looked at as a sustainable way to live as an artist. So to experience this renaissance now is like, wow, you know, it's such a validation of following your heart and following your dream and just not letting anyone get in your, in your head. Because the professions that are generally respected here are the medical professions, doctors, lawyers, you know, engineers. So to experience this renaissance is just amazing. I mean, look at the music scene. Actually, it all started with Nollywood, to be honest, the Nigerian film industry, of which it was the first start of people taking our art to the world. The diaspora had a lot to do with the explosion of Nollywood. And so they started to see images from us and say, and identify with that because they were far, one part removed from home. You know, they're living in Mm. London, in UK. And I know Nigerians generally, we travel, we're nomads, (laughs) we're everywhere in the world. So of course, when you don't see images that remind you of home, when you do see them, you're going to latch onto them. And so that was how it started to open us up. And then the music scene came up and then that one just exploded. I mean, now you have our artists performing with the likes of Drake and Beyonce and, you know, they look to Africa to get the, what is hot, the latest trends in music. Photography, the same thing. I actually studied photography as well. I studied for about a year with my uncle, who is one of the foremost photographers in Nigeria. His name is Don Barber. Right now, we have a huge art festival called Art X, and it comes up every November. And it's such an explosion of art. It's like art for days. And it's open to kids. It's open to the whole public. Everybody can come, you know. So I'm just so grateful to see this happening in my lifetime, you know, seeing that now people want to be, they ask kids, what do you want to be? I want to be an actor. I want to <laughs> be a singer. And it's cool and it's accepted, you know? So it's so important to just, just do you, you know? Do you, even if people don't understand it, just do you. It will make sense when it's meant to make sense. So, okay, we should do the whole thing here, which we have said in the intro, but Decora, you are a celebrated film actress. Your first film was Silent Tears. You've done a lot more since then. In 2018, you won an Africa Movie Academy Award for your title role in Isokan. Yes. To win uh, Best Actress at AMA, that's our Oscars. Um, So to win that was also very validating for me and very special. And it showed my daughters that, look, you know, Whatever it is in life you want to do, you have to go for it and you have to work hard. Coming from starting out in the film industry in 1998 to now 2020, I'm still here, still standing as a mom, as you know, a mom of two and a wife. I had to leave the industry for five years to raise my family, which was another very difficult thing because I wasn't sure if I would be able to even get back. You know, um, that's another thing about when you're a female, 
and you have to put time towards your family, coming back into work can be very challenging. And it was for me. It took my seventh film back, which is called 50, and it's on Netflix, that everything just kind of opened up again. So I want to kind of give hope to women out there who have to leave work and, you know, give time to their families to know that you can leave and you can come back, but with a lot of determination and grit and hard work, you can definitely get back. So, um, and then my first film, Silence Years, which you mentioned, I came in as a lead actress. So imagine your first movie, you're the lead, <laughs> you know, like I didn't have a chance to swim at the shallow end first and work my way in. I started at the deep end, um, which was great. And I was able to, you know, of course, do the job. They were happy. And then from there, it just kind of went. um, So I came in through a female. I came in through female producers as well. That was another thing that really helped. Strong women. Um, Strong women. And I always played strong women. I hardly played the weak one. So that I think that was part of what made me really shine was because I was, and I had dreadlocks. <laughs> so um, the image of someone who has dreadlocks is someone who's wild, who's like, you know, just trying to start something. And it worked. It worked for me um, because, of course, at the time, a lot of women, we were always wearing wigs. I was wearing my natural hair. So I was making a lot of political statements without even realizing. Um, and then Isoken was so special as well because we used fashion heavily in that film. All the clothes that Isoken wore were all deliberately handpicked. They were all new designers. And those designers have been able to go on in their own businesses based off of people seeing them in that film. Amazing. So the power of fashion, yes, the power of fashion and the power of what we do, the visual arts, you know, it's, it's really important and it really transforms lives. And it's interesting to see how the cultural industry in general has an incredible potential to create new jobs, especially in a yes. country, in a country, in a region where, which is still heavily depending on oil and, and raw materials. And in a region where the percentage of young people is booming, is incredible. So At the end of the yes. day, we are here also within the framework of a program of the UN and of the yes. EU, which is called culture, the European Union funds the work that we do in the creative industry Mm -hmm. in Africa just on the idea because of the idea that we can create jobs. Do you share this idea? Yes. Yes. No, it's, it's so true. And Nollywood is a big indicator of that. Right now, we are the second largest employer of young people in Nigeria. And we, we have a population of over 200 million people. So you can just imagine, I mean, we have such high unemployment rates here. If there wasn't any Nollywood, I wouldn't be here where, you know, we're all having this conversation. Yes. So it has given us all the opportunity to express our talent, to express our creativity, and to also showcase Nigeria in a more positive light. Because when you hear about Nigeria, you tend to hear negative, you know, you hear 419, advanced fee fraud, you hear oh, um, corruption, you hear militancy, you hear, you know, all negative things. But not only has it been able to employ a lot of young people that otherwise would be walking around aimlessly on the street because art is all they know, you know, so it's, it's given us a, you know, an outlet for our creativity. And it's also helping us to sustain our lives and our families and our livelihoods. So 
it's not something that people look at lightly anymore. You cannot treat the arts like it's secondary. It is primary. It is the most important thing right now. Culture matters. Culture creates jobs. That's a very yes. powerful message. And social media, Dakore. Yes. I find young bloggers aged 18 in Nigeria with half a million followers. It's incredible. Yes. That too. We're talking of wit. Uh, hang on. You have 1.3 million followers on Instagram, Dakore. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I That's do. nuts. It's nuts. Honestly, one, someone says 1.3 million monitoring spirits. <laughs> monitoring spirits. That's a beautiful expression. I love it. <laughs> monitoring spirits. Monitoring spirits catching up with me. What is she up to? What is she doing? Um, but, you know, social media and technology. And, you know, so that's another thing that has really, really helped the industry, really helped us as artists. We can express ourselves and showcase what's important to us, what makes us tick. I've chosen to make my page a positivity zone. It is indeed. You know, no negative. Yes, fully positive because that's how I live. And I want to, you know, share that with the world. You know, so everything you see on my page is all about my work. It's all about positive quotes, you know, to leave people feeling lifted when they, what you know, see my page. You know, so it's a lot of power in our own hands as well to project what we want to project rather than someone doing that for us, you know? So social media has been a great tool. It's also very democratic in that, and Roberta Anand spoke about yes. this on episode one, in that it allows for mm -hmm. anyone who's got a creative project or a story to tell to be able to make and reach their own audience, which I think is beautiful. Exactly. Because taking down the kind of hierarchical barriers that used to be there when I started out, for example. Yes, Exactly. So it's now more open. It's like you said, democratic, all comers affair, whatever you're into, you know, just go for it and, and showcase that. And then, of course, I've also used it to talk about the causes that are dear to me, like SGBV, like the EFI project, like, you know, um, anything that's helping with children, keeping kids in school, all of these things and are all positive things. And it allows people to almost immediately know what you're about without even meeting you. It's like a calling card now, you know, if you want to keep up with what's happening, what's hot, you have to be online. So thank God. And look at us. We can have this conversation. You're in Australia. Simone, you're in, where are you? I am Simone? in Geneva. Always I am in Geneva, in Geneva at headquarters. Imagine that. And may I'm in Lagos and we're all able to have a conversation. So that is the beauty of technology when it's used right, when it's done right. Dakore, you are an active monitoring spirit for the EFI, for our work with yes. the UN and with the EU, but I know that yes. you are engaged also in a lot of humanitarian work, which is important, which is beautiful, and which is what is needed today in the world of today. Tell yes. us more about that. My first foray into the humanitarian space was with Amnesty International. I was the first uh, Amnesty International and Oxfam America ambassador in Nigeria. And that was for the control of arms and ammunition. And I believe that the reason why they, they thought I would be helpful in that space was because I'm from the Niger Delta, where there's a, a prevalence of guns and ammunition in the wrong hands, in the, in the hands of the young people that the political elites have used to you know, further their own um, agenda. So that was my first taste of humanitarian work. And before then, I actually asked God 
I said, what is the point of me being famous? What is the point? It cannot possibly just be for me to feel cool about myself. And I heard this back to me in my meditation to shine light, to help those who don't have a voice. I went on to become ActionAid Nigeria's ambassador for five years. And ActionAid's work, of course, I'm sure you're aware of ActionAid. Um, Indeed. But the Nigerian branch was, what they wanted me to do was to encourage Nigerians to raise money from within Nigeria because we're used to getting a lot of aid from the EU, from DFID, from USAID. But we are very rich as a people. And a lot of people have resources, but they don't know how to apply those resources to help. So ActionAid asked me to come and head the community sponsorship initiative. And we raised money from within Nigeria for projects, for roads, for schools, for advocacy, for, for women's rights, and in the rural areas. Because most of the emphasis is always on the urban areas, the cities. But the people in the rural areas tend to be neglected and, you know, suffer from, you know, lack of basic amenities, healthcare centers, all of this stuff. So I traveled all across Nigeria where all the projects were happening so I could see firsthand and be able to report back and say, hey, this is where we are on this project. And there was a lot of accountability with that as well, because when you put money towards something, you get reports back to say, oh, this is where the project is. This is where the, the well that we're building is or the school that we're building is. So I really loved that because a lot of people use NGOs for other funny business to enrich themselves. But ActionAid created a framework where you could trace back and make sure that that was being done. Then when my work finished with ActionAid, I got approached by the UN for the gender, you know, against gender-based violence, um, Orange the World. I did that, that campaign. And then after that, the EU reached out for SGBV and then the EFI. So you see, my humanitarian walk came from a genuine, you know, heart cry that I didn't want my status or my celebrity to be just about me. And there is a lady that I really admire, Angelina Jolie. And I loved how she was an actor, but also an activist and how she was able to shed light on things that were very important that were happening in the world. And I really admire that about her. But it's, it really inspired me and um, it gives my, my work more purpose. It makes it more rich. It makes it more meaningful. <laughs> and, and I like that you mentioned that and that you mentioned the fact that you are engaged in a positive way, notwithstanding there are some people, there are some organizations that abuse these tools of humanitarian engagement. But humanitarian engagement is always important, no always. matter. Even if somebody abuses NGOs and this and that, it doesn't matter. It still you needs have, to be it's done. Still important. <laughs> It's more important than ever. And the same is for yes. sustainable fashion, engaging for a sustainable world. Even if there is somebody yes. who does greenwashing, it doesn't matter. You have to be exactly. engaged. We are engaged together, Dakota, for a better world. Yes. By creating jobs, by giving jobs to young people, by reducing poverty, yes. by using creativity to do that, and by yes. having a mountain of monitoring spirits around us to check what we do <laughs> and to get us to do the right job. Isn't it so? It, it is so. <laughs> it, is it is so. so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Decora Kando, for sharing your insights with us on the podcast. We are very grateful. Thank I'm you. I'm so grateful to you as well. Thank you, guys. Thank you for the amazing work that you're doing.
Thank you for listening, my friends. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at ethicalfashioninitiative.org and we are on Instagram at ethicalfashion. Just don't shout because I feel like it's quite ah, okay. noisy. Okay, just the rest. Yeah, yeah, go on. I have the syndrome of the... Will you have silent or the, shouting? <laughs> yeah, no, I have the syndrome of the presenter in, in an old Italian ballroom. Ah. Where <laughs> I love it. Because I used to be a waiter when I was in university. And the waiter, I used to work in a restaurant, which after dinner was transformed into a ballroom. So... It was fun. So did you say, and now it's time for the dancing? And now, adesso si balla. <laughs> and everybody, boom, boom. <laughs> Can you help spread the word and share our story with your friends on social media? Our mission is to work towards sustainable development and create long-term impact in the communities where we operate. Through extensive training and mentorship, We build capacity and enable artisans to produce for the international market. Through this program, workers are empowered and can lift themselves out of poverty. Not charity, just work. Mm-hmm.